We're called to accompany a grieving husband as he makes funeral arrangements for his wife. Our text here in Genesis chapter 23. This is something that all of us will come to at some point with some loved one. As a boy, I can remember walking with my mother as we chose a burying place for my father. I've been with countless people as a pastor as they made final arrangements for loved ones. And here we see a very practical and a very touching picture in the life of Abraham as he grieves the loss of the homegoing of his precious, precious wife, the details that surround that and how he handled his affairs during this period of time. An unusual portion of Scripture, but our portion for us this Lord's Day, may the Lord speak to us by His Spirit. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we know that all Scripture is of God, inspired of God, and that it is Spirit-breathed, that this is the very Word of God preserved for us. And we pray that You'd speak to us out of Your Word today. Teach us and feed us and guide us, correct us, sanctify us, Lord. And for those who are outside of Christ, may the Holy Spirit use Your Word to show them of their condition and their need of a Savior and of knowing what their eternity lies, where they will be headed. We're all immortal souls in this brief journey here on earth, headed for our eternal destination. May we ever keep these things in mind and in balance as we consider Your Word and as we go through our daily round of life. Now bless us, we beg. We so desperately need You and only that which You can provide. We ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. The only woman in the Bible whose age is given at the time of death is Sarah, the wife of Abraham. We're told in our text in Genesis 23 and verse 1 that Sarah was 107 and 20 years old. These were the years of the life of Sarah. Several times in the biblical narrative of her life, her age is given. The Holy Spirit gives whatever information is recorded for us, and he does it purposefully. It is always instructive, not just for entertainment or for uh, that kind of thing. It's always to teach us. Sarah's age is given when God told Abraham to change her name, that her name would be uh, meant princess, and she would be a mother of many, of nations, and reiterated the promise that she would have a son back in chapter 17 in verse 17. And there Abraham falls on his face and laughs, saying, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? And Sarah, who is ninety years old, will she bear? As we enter chapter 23, there is no laughter at all. The family is in mourning. The word has come, and no doubt Abraham is away when he receives the message that his beloved wife has died. Here is great sadness of a husband whose wife of many, many years has been called away. There are those in this congregation who know exactly what I'm speaking of in the loss of a mate. Many of us do not know what that feeling is, although we have had to say goodbye to others very precious to us. But I want us to walk alongside of Abraham as he goes in these moments of his life, this day that has come that is unavoidable, and as a husband, 
as a godly man, how he handles the situation before him. Here we see him delicately and carefully and lovingly making arrangements for her burial. To me, it is one of the most tender pictures in all the story of Abraham. Isaac is 37 years old, the scripture tells us, at the time of his mother's death. And while we're not told how much time passed between his offering and her death, I've told you that I surmise that he was at the prime of life around 33 because of the words that the scripture uses to describe him and the other young men who were with uh, Abraham. And so we know that he was not a, a, a child and he was a young man and no doubt as a, in, in the prime of life in his 30s. But whatever his age was at that time, we don't know how many years passed, perhaps just a few. Some writers have surmised that the shock of all of that dealing with Abraham and Isaac when, when Sarah learned of it, that it was such a shock to her that it led to her death and her passing. Well, that sounds to me the, the, the fodder for creative writing, but it does not measure up to the Sarah that we're were revealed to us in the scriptures. She has matured and grown in her faith by this time. And I believe that quietly she had accepted the, the news that, of what God was asking for Abraham to do. I, I think that Sarah was privy to all of it. We did not see her fighting and screaming and wailing and, and gnashing as, as human beings would be logical. That would be the response of a mother who's whose husband was telling her what God was asking of them. But we do not see that. The, the, the scripture is silent about all of that. Nothing is recorded of, her, recorded of her going against Abraham or accusing him after they return from the mountain. Her New Testament obituary in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 5, describes her as the epitome of godly women. In fact, she's held as the standard for women of all ages, of all times, who trusted in God, who adorned themselves modestly, who were in subjection to their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are as long as you do well. In other words, as you follow her example and her pattern, as long as you do well and are not afraid with much amazement. That is an interesting phrase there. When you study it, it means that you're not literally given to hysterical fears. Now, ladies, I did not write the scripture. The Holy Spirit did. But we can imagine that some of the things that Sarah was called upon to go through, she could have vented to hysterical fears as we have followed her to this point and uh, to what all she's been through. But she followed the Lord with a quiet faith, a resoluteness, and is held as a pattern for you. Sarah was a picture, a role model of quiet, firm, unmoving trust in the ways of the Lord. Though unexplained or not clearly revealed to us at the time, working in her, the Lord working in her life and in her husband's and in her son. Yet the Bible tells us very clearly it is appointed unto man once to die. It is an inevitable appointment. And to ignore it or to pretend as if you will not face it is the most foolish of all things that a person can do. I'm preaching to people who have made insurance arrangements. You have made investments, no doubt, some of you. 
You have made all kinds of arrangements about your belongings and everything else, and yet I fear that some under the sound of my voice have made no provision for your soul. How foolish. For over 60 years, Sarah has lived a nomadic life. That in itself is noteworthy. Following her husband as he obeyed the Lord's call, leaving her house and her home and their business, whatever it was in Ur, before the Lord visited them with the gospel and everything changed. She was faithful, devoted, and greatly loved by Abraham. We see this great love for her even when he failed by going to Egypt and the other mistakes that, that husbands make. And we see them so so garishly drawn and colored for us in the scriptures, the, the, the horrible mistakes that Abraham made. But these things were written, the things that were written aforetime were written for us, for our learning and our admonition. And so... We see this great love. Isaac dearly loved his mother as well. When you continue reading the story, when we come to Genesis 24, verse 67, after the bride has been found for Isaac, and the Holy Spirit records to us of his marriage to Rebekah, comforting him after his mother's death. All that while later, he was still grieving over the death of his mother, and only the marriage of Rebekah could comfort and console him of that great loss of his well-beloved mother. We, we hear much about motherhood and, and mothers, and all of us have warm spots in our heart about it. I'm sure you've heard about the quote that, that Abraham Lincoln said, all that he was, he owed to his, his beloved mother. He owed it to her. And you've heard the quotes, the, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. But we see this lived out in the lives of the patriarchs. That often the mothers are painted for us alongside the father's. By the time of Sarah's death, the family had moved from Beersheba back to Hebron, where they'd lived years earlier. And while we're not told all the details of Abraham's pilgrimages and wanderings and the Lord leading him here and there, we are told that there Sarah died in Hebron, which is, literally means the place of blessing. We don't often consider a place of death as a place of blessing. But you'll remember that in the scriptures we're told the names of places and that everything, every name, both for people and locations, <clears throat> have a meaning. And she died in Hebron, which is in Canaan, the place of blessing, the land that God had promised them, though without seeing all that he had promised fulfilled, just, just promises very little of it literally fulfilled except, of course, for the miraculous fulfillment of the birth of Isaac. And it was enough to let them know that everything else that God had promised would come true. She had seen enough. She had gone from a weak, laughing believer to a, the epitome of a faithful and godly woman. Her faith had been tried and tested. Can you imagine being taken into the harem of a king, not on just one occasion, but twice. Can you imagine the conflict with Hagar and all that, that Sarah had endured as the wife of Abraham? It was not an easy trip, was it? There'd been nothing easy about it, humanly speaking. She had miraculously given birth in her old age and had lived to see her son grown. Abraham must have been away at the time of her death because we note here 
that the Bible tells us in verse 2 of our text in chapter 23, Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. For some reason, he was away on business when the message came that Sarah had died. It's clear that Abraham loved his wife, and it must have grieved him that he was not there with her when she died. We can surmise that it must not have been a suspected or expected death, or he would have been there. And some might be saying, but at 127, that's something that could happen at any moment. But I would think that God has so worked in Abraham and Sarah's life, they were so full of vigor, and in their old age were like their youth, that, that there was no telling that Sarah would not go on and on and on. And, and so there must have not been any inkling or that Sarah was sick or near to death, or I think Abraham would have been there. At any rate, he was not, and he came to mourn her passing. There's nothing wrong for a believer to weep and to mourn over the tragedies of life, the heartaches of life, because life is hard, isn't it? We are sinners born into a sinful world. All around us is flawed and is blessed, and we speak of our blessings and what the Lord has done. We look at everything through a veil of tears. We hold loosely to these relationships and these loved ones knowing that we'll be called upon to part with all that we hold dear. And so it is not wrong, it is not unchristian, it is not immature to grieve and to weep at losses, especially those that are very precious to us. Our Lord wept at the grave of his dear friend Lazarus. He never did anything inappropriate or unmanly. There we see our Lord weeping as that family grieved the loss of their brother. Yet we're promised and we're assured in so many places in the scripture, you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. We have hope, don't we? We use that word in such a feeble way. I hope it doesn't rain on my birthday. I hope it's pretty weather tomorrow. I hope this works out. But that's not a biblical hope at all. A hope in the scripture is a promise that just has not yet been fulfilled. It is as sure as God himself. A promise of God is as literal and as real as he is. And the scripture says not one jot or tittle will pass away to all of it be fulfilled. We have a blessed hope, not just a hope, but a hope that is blessed because God has given it. It will come to pass. And we don't sorrow as those who have no hope. Our tears are for ourselves, aren't they? We weep because of the separation of the loved one that is gone. And of our part, is very selfish. We're left, and we want them here. And those who know the Lord are gone on to that blessed hope that God has assured them. It is a promise, isn't it? I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, what's the promise? I will come again and receive you unto myself. In this age, he comes one by one for us. Some will be alive when the Lord comes back and will be caught up together with him in the clouds. Jesus declared at that funeral of Lazarus or the afterwards when the family was still mourning, he made that great declaration. And while his sisters were accusing the Lord for not being there, he could have healed him. He was off somewhere. Do you not care? That was the implication there. It set the stage for the Lord to do a glorious miracle and to give us a preview of what will take place in the resurrection. And there he gave us that, that glorious promise, I am the resurrection 
and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die, never be eternally cut off from the Lord, but will be forever alive. Hebrews 11.10 tells us that beyond all the temporal blessings on earth, that Abraham was looking for that city who's build, who hath foundations. And we're told about that city in Revelation, aren't we? A cube, over a thousand miles cubed city. One of the weirdest things described for us in the Scripture is the place that God has prepared for us. We can't comprehend it with one road in it, and a cube, and, and foundations, that, and, and gates, and all that we cannot comprehend. We'll have to have a glorified body and be in another state before we can even comprehend that place that he's prepared for us. That's what Abraham was looking for as he's going to make the funeral arrangements and buy the burying place for his beloved wife, whose builder and maker is God. Sarah died in Canaan, the place of blessing. It's forever a picture of blessing in our hymnody, in our singing. We, We sing about Canaan, the place of blessing. Now, Canaan is not the picture of heaven, as some erroneously sing. Canaan is this present life. Canaan had to be one with with battles, didn't it? And with with work. And cooperating with the Lord. And we think about the walls of Jericho. Canaan is this earthly life of blessing as the believer obeys the Lord in the sanctification process. And it is a blessing. Can God's people say amen? Oh, this life of the Lord and being his is such a blessing. She died in the place of blessing and in Hebron, which means fellowship. How far Sarah has come. From a moon-worshipping pagan in Ur, the day the gospel found her, the Lord came. The Bible says, the scripture, seeing aforetime, that God would justify the, the heathen preached before the gospel unto Abraham. Abraham, no doubt, shared it with his wife, Sarah, and this blessed hope they had. From an idolater in far off Ur, away from God, without any knowledge of him, worshiping the moon like Sarah. We're all born in that condition. And we may not be moon worshipers, but we are born sinners. Helplessly and hopelessly flawed. On our way to degradation and eternal death. Unless a work of divine grace intervenes. Oh, how like Sarah we are. One day the gospel comes, and our lives are absolutely revolutionized, totally changed, headed in a different direction, saying yes, Lord, to promises and guidings that we know not the end thereof, and wondering, and when when new promises come, there's a holy laughter, and sometimes there's a laughter of unbelief, and God gently leads us and teaches us all the way, all the way the Savior leads us. The free, unmerited grace of God seeks and finds Sarah along with her husband and saves them. The most important thing that can happen in anyone's life and all through her long and eventful life. Is there ever a life more eventful than Sarah's? What a trip it's been, she could have said. The Lord had been with her and guided her, protecting her in times of danger. 
we, we watch and we read at those times when there's such close calls. And we, we marvel at the protecting and provision and the deliverance of the Lord and keeping her own at least two occasions from Abraham's mistakes when it could have been a disaster for her. But she dies in the land of promise at the place of fellowship. No matter where you are at that hour or who you're with at that hour when your time comes to leave this life, and that time will come, and none of you know what those circumstances will be, but no matter what they are, when your time comes to pass from this world for the believer in Christ, it will be a place of blessing and a time of fellowship. For the Lord himself will come. And the psalmist teaches us, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you're with me. You will be with me. And your rod and your staff will comfort me. Has not our Lord promised, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Never, no, never, never in the Greek it is. To be absent from the body, Paul tells us, is to be immediately with the Lord. That's the blessed hope of believers. This is what the Scripture teaches us. We can see the old man Abraham. I can see him as he comes to Sarah's tent. Wherever he was, whether it was out in the pasture or doing business with the men of Canaan, he received the news. And What if Isaac came and said, Dad, you need to come home? I see the old man leaning on his staff outside of Sarah's tent, entering that beautiful tapestry-draped tent of Sarah. There her lifeless body lay. She who had been a great beauty, one of the most amazing and beautiful women who ever lived, there she was a corpse. And do you know that earthly beauty will fade and flee? But she that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. She shall be remembered In the gates, the scripture tells us, there the love of his life, his companion through all the good and the bad. There she lay. What a long marriage. Never had there been one quite like this one. What an eventful journey. All those memories must have flowed through Abraham's mind and through the tears as he looked and saw the face of his beloved princess. What a marriage theirs had been. She was his queen. My wife has hanging for me where I'll see it every day. I quote calligraphy very beautifully. And it says this, all that I ask is that you treat me no different than you would the queen. (laughs) I see that every day. I'm sure Abraham, through the tears, smiled at some of those things that he and Sarah had back and forth. There it was. This is God's design. This is God's gift. And this sad scene is part of the I do's of the marriage altar. To have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, till death us do part. Heaven had gained a choice saint, but a home and a father and a son had lost a princess. See the old man and his handsome son grieving over their beloved and beautiful Princess Sarah. 
Everyone who has walked this way can enter that room with them. You are with me there. Some of you know the very emotions that are going through their minds and hearts, the sorrow, the pain, and the ache in their hearts. But Sarah was finally at home, no longer a tent, no no longer traveling with Abraham from here to there, meeting dignitaries and kings and all that Sarah went through, feeding guests, the guests of heaven coming. How many ladies can you imagine? There's no one in this. You may have fed a lot of people this last few days, but can you imagine the two angels and the Lord from heaven coming, knocking at your door and saying, we're here for a meal, and, and Sarah prepared and oversaw that. And my, what a life. She's lived. We go with Abraham to make the funeral arrangements for his beloved help me. I want you to notice how deliberate and how careful he is with his dealings, even at the time of death. And we see there in verse 3, And Abraham stood up from before his death. He had his time of grieving and mourning, but there was business at hand. And he stands up. That means he'd been bowing down. I can see him on his knees beside his beloved wife. He gets up, straightens himself up, takes a deep breath, and spake unto the sons of Heth, the people have gathered there, the people from the community have come to see how this family will handle this time of grief and pain and loss. How do these people who worship not our gods, how will they deal with this? They had their own ways, their pagan ways of dealing with death. What an object lesson it is for the child of God as they walk that last journey with their loved ones. Do you know there's no part of our lives that's not a testimony and a sermon to those who are watching? Be careful how you respond. Be careful what you do. And I would tell you, Christians, you, those who love the Lord, the, the time of your death and your passing is a wonderful time of presenting the gospel and living out the gospel for, before others. I urge all of you who are members of our church and who... Uh, know the Lord, to write out your testimony in your own hand and have it there with your things where someone can read it at your funeral where you won't have to have a funeral director or a preacher to say, you tell exactly what you won't said of how you came to know the Lord. That's a sermon that you'll be preaching from heaven with a captive audience, with people who would never enter the door of a church at any other time. They'll come and they'll hear the gospel of saving grace. Oh, make sure in all those details that the gospel is first and foremost, that Christ is set forth, and you have the determination of how that will be done. And Abraham stood up saying, I am a stranger and a sojourner with you. Give me a possession of a burying place with you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And the children of Heth, answered Abraham, saying unto him, Hear us, my Lord, thou art a mighty prince among us. Since he left Ur, Abraham and Sarah had always lived in tents. They had a very temporary, nomadic life, ready at the Lord's beck and call to go wherever and whenever. He held loosely his possessions, though he was a very wealthy man, greatly blessed of the Lord, a man of renown, Abraham the, all that Abraham ever literally owned was the piece of property he's about to buy. He could testify with Job, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He was a pilgrim and never got too tangled up with the affairs of this world. He held all things loosely, knowing that at any time the Lord could take them from his hands. 
He lived by certain principles and ethics. You see this carried out in this dealings with the men of the land around him from Hebron. He dealt with the king of Sodom in a certain way. Remember, he offered to give him, and Abraham said, No, I will tithe of all that the Lord has given to me unless it be said that you made me rich. It is the God of heaven that has blessed and made me rich. No one on earth could say that they had done that. Remember how Abraham lived with this disagreement between the herdsmen of Lot and the herdsmen of Abraham. And what was Abraham's principles? What, what did he appeal to Lot? We are brethren. We live by heaven's guidelines. We will settle this in a right way. Now, Lot, you choose and I will choose. We see how Abraham lived his life. Though he's a very flawed man, he was a man saved by the grace of God who knew what it was to live by heaven's ethics and principles, something so rare on this earth that when they're seen, they're unbelievably, when people see it, they can't hardly believe it. We studied in the Sunday school this morning how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Something so unknown in this world. Something so fragrant and rare when it is seen. It was noted in the early church, my, how they love one another. If Abraham bought something, he paid for it. He was fully able to pay and, and pay full, in full. He kept short accounts. He did not haggle with this man. He was in the world, but not of it. He lived carefully in this world with his eye fixed on the next and always reminding himself there was a host of people watching him. Others close to him, even other believers, couldn't always understand his ways. Here he is teaching valuable lessons to his son Isaac at the time of his mother's death and mourning. All of life and every stage of life and circumstance is an opportunity for the believer to be used for the Lord to make his ways known to those around. And so Abraham calls himself a sojourner, a, a stranger. That word stranger is one who finds himself in a place where he really doesn't feel at home. He doesn't quite fit in. He's not totally at ease because there's so much going on around him that he doesn't know about, that he's not used to, that is opposite to what he knows and believes and holds true to in his soul and in his heart. A stranger is someone whose home is someplace else, far, far away. So it is with the believer in Christ. We're here, we must do business, we must bury our dead, we must buy burying places, we must deal with business situations, but always knowing this is not all there is to it. It doesn't matter where your address is or what is sitting in your garage or how much you paid for it. All of that is very irrelevant when you have one eye toward heaven and eternity and knowing in this brief span you're making your way in that direction. That's how we feel in this present world. We're here. This is home for now. But the philosophies around us and trying to mold us into its own mold is a very frustrating thing. This process of sanctification and the, the, the response of the world around us is very conflicting at times. And we're just, we're strangers here. Do you ever wake up? I know some of you people born after, uh, you know, before 19... Let me say I better face it. Those who were born before 1960, let's just say it that way. You just wake up some days and say, where did, where did the world go? Where, you know, what, what is going on? How can, that, how can that ad be on 
television in the middle of a football game. How could they be advertising that during the, this, this time of the night or ever? You know, we, we just we constantly see things. We think, you know, I, I'm, I'm from another planet. And we are, aren't we? A sojourner is one who's on a journey. They're making their way to somewhere else. Uh, a temporary resident, only here for a while. We have some dear folks in our congregation here that, that uh, because of where we are and because of your relatives, you're just here for a while. Your citizenship and your homeland is somewhere else, and you long to get back to how they eat and how they do things. That's Abraham's attitude toward Canaan. Really, he owned it all. Do you know that for Abraham to be buying a grave for Sarah is laughable? Did not God promise him everywhere you look, wherever you walk, every place you place your foot is yours? And it was in principle and literally Abraham's. But on a day-to-day basis, it was not so. God had given it to him, all of him, but Sarah's death brings everything into focus. See him earnestly and ethically dealing with the Canaanites about a tomb for his wife. How did they him? Verse 6, Hear us, my Lord, thou art a mighty prince among us, and the choice of our sepulchres bury thy dead. Now, what, what follows here, and you need to go back and read the, the rest of this process that Abraham goes through. Abraham already knows where he wants to bury Sarah. He already has his eye on the grave where he will place her. It belongs to a man by the name of Ephron, and Machpelah is the location. He knows exactly where it is, and Abraham knows what it's worth. And, uh, but the, the culture and the, the customs we see played out before us, the people say, oh, well, Abraham, you are such a mighty and renowned and rich man and so mightily esteemed. Uh, we, oh, listen, you just ask and we'll give you anything you want. And that is not what that meant at all. It's like when people say, come to see us sometime. You know they don't want you to come to see them sometime. Or come just drop in whenever you want to. That means if you do that, you're crazy. You better call before you come. The South is filled with those kind of sayings that we are trying to be nice, but really don't mean. And that's not what this means. If you think that the men of Hebron are saying, Abraham, you can have whatever you want, you're sadly mistaken. What that means is we want to see how you're going to respond because they had a way of doing things. Abraham knew that and they knew that. When he says, and they go back and forth, and finally he says, well, Abraham, now you know it's worth 400 shekels. Or 400 shekels. That's how much it is worth. And verse 9, and he says, but, but listen, what is that? That is that's nothing to me and to you. I mean, and it's all fake. He means you better give me every penny of it. It was customary to enter the haggling process, and they were expecting Abraham to do it. They were expect. In fact, he was asking top dollar. He was not giving a concession to Abraham. He had doubled or tripled the price of the grave, no doubt, because in their mind they started here, like what you do when you ask for your house. But you know down here what you will finally settle for, and then it begins that process where you get somewhere in the middle. And Ephron knows what he wants for it, and Abraham says, "Okay, I'll, I'll pay you that." Don't you know how shocked he was when Abraham pulled out the money and said, "Here." This is what it is. I'll pay it. Here, the separated believer is called a mighty prince among us. Abraham had so lived so prudently and carefully that he had won their respect 
but that respect was now being put to the test. Do you know that whether they is out there or not, that as a believer, wherever you are, you're always on, on display, you're always on the witness stand, you're always on the stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything you say and do is weighed and filtered by those around you to see, are you real or not? Or do y'all just go down there and sing a bunch of stuff and say a bunch of stuff, but you really don't mean a bit of it? Every day. Let me ask you, in your place of work or in your neighborhood, are you known as a prince among the people? Or are you known as that preacher down there who begs for a discount on everything he gets? Preacher's discount. That kind of thing. Are, are you known to try, to try to do things in such a way that, that people say, what? I thought you were a Christian. I thought you clocked in at a certain time and clocked out at a certain time. But you do just like we do when the boss is not looking. What is your coworkers, my coworkers? I have coworkers. Do you know that? Here. They, we watch each other rub shoulders quite intimately on a daily, day-to-day basis. What do your coworkers say? He's, he, he preaches, but he doesn't live what he preaches. Is that what my coworkers would say? What, what would your coworkers' estimation be of your character? Are you a prince among them, or are you a pauper? We see in verses 7 through 18 the purchase of Sarah's grave. And interestingly, as I mentioned, the only piece of real estate that Abraham really ever owns title deed to is the family burying place. Hebrews 11 verse 13 says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. Someone looking on might say, Abraham, is that all you got? A grave? That's the only real estate you own is... Some at the cemetery. That's all you have to show for leaving your settled place of Ur and your house and all that. And you've been living for your Lord all these years. And and all you've got is a grave? Are you serious? Abraham had obeyed the Lord. He had tried him and trusted him and he could sing. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. How I proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. Oh, for grace to trust him more. Abraham looked beyond Sarah's tomb and all the real estate of Canaan to that heavenly home. We sing it in the old song books. There is a land that is fairer than day, and by faith we can see it afar. And the Father waits over the way to prepare us a dwelling place there. We see Abraham's manner in verse 7. It may be a little thing, but don't, don't miss it. He stood up and bowed himself to the people of Heth. That was the custom of his day. He's showing respect to them. He bows to them just like you would shake your hand with someone or greet them in a, in a way that shows respect. I was taught that you stand when old people come into the room or ladies come into the room. You offer them your chair. I held a door for a lady the other day, and she said, and, and I said, yes, ma'am, or something like that. And she got all over me. And I said, well, I'm, I'm more afraid of my mother than I am of you. She taught me to say, yes, ma'am, and that's just how we do, do things. And, and Abraham was showing the, the respect of the customs of his day. He knew what, what was expected. He, 
he knew that they would have be out to see if he would be true to his word. The details show us the culture. He states the case in verses 89. He, he satisfied the customs in verses 10 through 13, and then he secured the contract in verses 14 through 18. And when everything was said and done and the ink was dried on the paper, he paid the full 400 shekels for the title of Sarah's burying place. Now, don't make mistake me here. I'm not saying that a Christian shouldn't try to get a good deal. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying you shouldn't be wise and prudent. But in this situation, knowing everything that Abraham knew and that his faith and his testimony was at stake, there's some things more precious than, earn, than, than saving $100 at the end of the day. Do you understand what I'm saying here? That's a good place to say amen. Ephron asked, top dollar. And Abraham didn't haggle like Ephraim expected him to do. He was absolutely shocked, no doubt. He paid the asking price, and with dignity, he gave the man what he asked, knowing the unsaved were watching and that his testimony was at stake. And so Abraham goes as far as a man can go with his wife. He lovingly places her embalmed body in a place carefully chosen and all that human hands could do had been done and the Lord was with him every step of the way. His heart was full, his tears no doubt were flowing but his hope was in the Lord his God. He had come too far to turn back. His God had made true and made good on every promise that he'd made him. This God who said, I will never, 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 never leave thee nor forsake thee. Do you see why we call him the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? He changes not. This God is our God and be with us, will be with us even through death. May the Lord bless his word this morning. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for the lessons that we've learned at the cemetery, at the grave. Thank you for recording for us Abraham's response at the time of his wife's death and the details of her burying. Lord, while some of this is foreign to us, there are so many lessons that we can learn. I pray that you teach them to us by your Spirit. Lord, I pray today for those who may be outside of Christ. They're lost. They're not genuinely saved. They're not your child. And yet they yearn to be. They long to be cleansed from their sin and made right with you. And I pray in this moment of stillness, as we look to you, that you would show them their condition and your promise to save them. And I pray, Lord, that you would, by your Spirit, make these things real to them. May they see that it's not by work or effort or righteousness of their own, but by the finished work of Christ. And to you who may be sensing that right now, and it's being revealed to you, I would tell you to go to Jesus Christ. Run to him by faith. Where you are, cast yourself before him and say, Lord, save me. I I need to be saved. I need to be made your child. I need you to rule over me and be my Lord. I want to be yours. Tell him your great need. The Bible says that as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to as many as believed on his name. 
Lord, would you do that miraculous work among us. To those who are grieving, Lord, would you comfort their hearts. To those that you're preparing for that time, may they learn valuable lessons here and now for when they come to that hour, as we all must. Prepare us, Lord, that we be a people who live out your word even on the darkest days of our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.